0: Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Jimmy, and for our praise team for leading us uh, so far this morning. Uh, We wanted to let you know a few quick announcements early before the sermon, and then we're going to do a few more after the sermon. And wanted to highlight next weekend specifically as we think about next weekend and Easter weekend. We've got two big events planned. First, as you can see on the screen, uh, we have Easter Jam that's going to be on Saturday. So moms, dads, and kids in our children's ministry are invited to join us for Easter Jam on Saturday, April 16th. That's going to be from 9 to noon in our back parking lot area, and there will be egg hunts for kids of all ages, bouncy houses, games, and a lot more. And even if you don't have kids, that's okay. We would love for you to come out and enjoy the fun. Uh, And then the next day, uh, Easter Sunday, we we need a few different things from you. First, we need volunteers. Um, And so if you would like to volunteer next Sunday, Um, you can go out into the foyer and sign up there or you can call the front office, which would be probably the best way so they can plug you in somewhere and Kelly Anguish can help you find uh, a place where you can serve. And also, you've seen these cards the last few weeks. I want to encourage you to grab one of these if you haven't already to remind you of our schedule for next week. We are going to have a sunrise service outside at 7 a.m., a free light breakfast at 7.45, a worship service in here at our usual time at 8.45 with online worship as well. We'll have Bible classes at 10 and then we'll have worship service at 11 a.m. So it's going to be a full morning and we would love for you to be with us on Easter Sunday next week. Grab one of these to remind yourself or to give to a friend or a neighbor or family member and ask them to come and be a guest next Sunday. Uh, we are moving through a series that Kevin has entitled I Am. And what we're doing in this series is we are looking at these different I Am statements that Jesus uses Uh, in the gospel of john and today we're going to be looking at another statement of jesus where he says i am the good shepherd and so if you have your bible we're going to be in john chapter 10 uh, verses 11 through 21 john 10 11 through 21. jesus says i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd for this reason. The Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this commandment from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning. God, we are grateful that we get to be here in a safe place with our community of faith, brothers and sisters who are seeking you. And I pray today as we look at another angle on who you are and who you tell us you are, I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would speak a word through me that is true to who you are, to who you're calling us to be, and that we would trust you in all seasons as you slowly work your transformation in each of us as individuals and as a community of faith. We pray these things in the name of your son Jesus, by the power of your spirit, amen. This Friday, Jessica and I will celebrate a significant milestone of 10 years of marriage. Uh, for those of you wondering, we're still registered at Amazon and Target, so if you weren't able to do that 10 years ago, we're, we're still accepting gifts. I did not tell her I was going to say that. Um, and if you're also doing the math, you're thinking about Friday, yes, we did get married on April 15th. Uh, that's why the wedding day was so taxing, in my opinion. Sorry, I had to, Melinda. But if you're like me, one of the things that happens whenever you face a significant milestone is you get reflective. Uh, You reflect on the significance of that day. And so over the last few weeks, I've been reflecting on that day that started our journey together. I can still remember being gathered with a lot of you on a Sunday afternoon, in the mill with the sun cascading through those big windows, I remember taking vows in front of you, saying the Lord's Prayer with many of you, and then driving off after our celebration in my uncle's 67 Mercury Comet. It was such a significant day for us. But the other thing that I've been reflecting on is what's transpired since that day and what has happened since that moment over the last 10 years about trips and trials, uh, memories and moments that have formed us a unique story that we can call our own that Jessica and I now have a a shared story and with that shared story comes a shared language and what I mean by that is Jessica and I have words or phrases inside jokes or shorthand ways of saying things that are layered and loaded with meaning so if I say to Jessica I'm the man who loves you That's going to mean a lot more to her than it is to some random person that I was to utter that to. Shared stories create this shared language. And that's not just true for marriages. It's it's true for any different kind of relationships. This is why friends have things like inside jokes, where if you make a joke with a group of friends that isn't in on the joke, doesn't share the story or the experience together, then no one else is going to get that joke. It's layered with meaning. Uh, If you're in a particular family, you know that through various experiences that you have, there are certain things you can say to family members, shorthand phrases that can sometimes press their buttons. Why? Because you know just the right things to say, maybe to send them off in a difficult direction. Or if you think about sports teams, sports teams have chants and mottos and things they say to each other that means so much more to the team because of a, a shared season or a shared career. And so a single word or phrase or chant or motto means so much more when you share a story with a team. I would say it this way, that when it comes to shared stories, they give us a shared language of words and phrases that hold deeper meaning. Shared stories give a shared language of words and phrases that hold deeper meaning. And I think this is an important principle to keep in mind as we hear these words of Jesus in John 10 this morning. Because what Jesus does is he uses a shared word that is loaded with meaning for him and the Pharisees who share this story of faith. Now, when we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, we don't usually talk about what they have in common. We, we usually talk about their conflict. But it's important to keep in mind that the reason why There was conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is because of what they shared in common. They had this shared story that Jesus challenged, which is what created conflict between these two groups. They were both a part of this shared Jewish story of faith. This story of this God who created the heavens and the earth. This God who made a blessing on Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. This God who who worked through the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God of the Exodus who delivered the people. This God of the Exodus who didn't just deliver them but also sustained them and guided them in the wilderness to get to the promised land. They both believed in this God who sustained the people through priests and prophets kings and judges, exile and return. They believed in the sustaining hand of God through all of those different aspects of their shared story. And the primary way the shared story was communicated was through what they would call the Hebrew Scriptures and what we would call the Old Testament. And what makes up that shared story, if you read through it, are a bunch of words and phrases that if you're a part of that story... There's different words, phrases, and shorthand ways of saying things that are layered with meaning. And the specific word that Jesus uses, that both he and the Pharisees know, happens when he makes this statement, I am the good shepherd. And shepherd was was one of those words that was loaded with meaning for the people of God. Because when it came to their story of how they understood God, one of the primary ways that they described God was as a shepherd. So for example, you have Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which is probably the most famous expression of the people of God calling God their shepherd. Or you may think of Psalm 103. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And the reason why that this image of God as shepherd was so common for the people to talk about God was because of the world in which they grew up. I mean, they grew up in what was an agrarian society, which is a big fancy way of saying that, that their world, their economy, hinged upon things like sowing and reaping and fields and harvests, sheep and goats, and things like shepherds. And so as they tried to make sense of who God was, they looked around at these common everyday experiences they were having, and there was something about shepherds that communicated for the people something central about who they believed God to be. But what's really interesting about this word shepherd is it's not just a word that the people of God use to describe God, But it's also a word that God uses to describe himself to the people. Probably the most famous example of this would be Ezekiel 34. And in Ezekiel 34, it begins with a really difficult, hard word from God through Ezekiel to the people. And it's basically an indictment of the shepherds or leaders of Israel. Because the leaders of the time were neglecting the sheep. They were not treating the sheep fairly. They were more about self-preservation than self-sacrifice. They were more making about their position of leadership about them and not their sheep. And it's in that context that, that God speaks through Isaiah these words about himself to the people. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among the scattered sheep, So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. They shall lie, There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy I will feed them with justice and it's with statements like this and there's a few other in the prophets that we read where God makes a promise using this image of shepherd and with that promise came another layer of meaning in their shared story together because when people would talk about shepherds they would remember this promise of God Uh, This promise that God was going to be for them the shepherd that they've always needed. Uh, God was making this hopeful promise that one day he would come and rescue them, redeem them, and give them good pasture in which to rest where they would find life. And when Jesus uses this phrase shepherd, he's tapping into this powerful imagery Not just from the people to God, but also God to the people. And and what Jesus is saying in this moment is that I am the one through whom God is fulfilling this promise of being a shepherd. And it's here where that commonality begins to turn into conflict. Because they shared this idea about who God was, Jesus and the Pharisees, but Jesus was reinterpreting and reimagining This primary image of God through himself, through his ministry, through his work, what he was doing in the world. That Jesus was saying, I am the shepherd through whom God is working to restore all of Israel. And that Jesus was saying to them, I am going to be fulfilling this promise in some beautiful and compelling ways. Now, I intentionally use the word beautiful because of the word that Jesus uses right before Shepherd where he says, I'm not just any kind of shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And good's a really important word for us to linger over a little bit longer because when we think of the word good, often we think of it in terms of morality. Is something good or bad? Is it right or wrong? And that's one way in which we can think about this word good. But in the ancient usage of the word, the same way of our modern usage of the word, you can use the word good for other reasons and to draw out different kinds of emphasis on this word. So for example, if you hang out with a friend that you haven't seen in a long time and you come home and you tell your spouse it was so good to see them, you're using the word in a way that communicates something more fulfilling, compelling, beautiful. Or if you go and see maybe one of your favorite concerts, one of your favorite artists and you come home and you tell your friends that concert was so good. You're not talking about in terms of right and wrong. You're you're talking about good in the sense of something that was beautiful, compelling, captivating, praiseworthy. And it's that second definition, that latter definition of good that I think Jesus has in mind here when he says I am the good shepherd. And the reason why I think that he's implying more of that second definition is because of the very next thing that he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What makes the good shepherd good? It's his willingness to lay down his life for the sheep. What makes Jesus the good shepherd? His willingness to give up his own life so that his sheep might find life. And when we dwell on that image of this God in Jesus who gives up his own life for the sake of his sheep, that is this beautiful, compelling, praiseworthy picture of who God is in Jesus. It is this picture that is this compelling picture of Jesus as not just any kind of shepherd, but as a good shepherd. On February 24th, as all of us likely know, Russian missiles began to invade Ukraine. And there's all of these images and stories that we've heard and we've seen that have grown out of this tragic occurrence in Europe. And one of the stories that I have found maybe most compelling is a a story I stumbled upon recently of a mother by the name of Christina Pavlovich. Christina was eight months pregnant on February 24th. When those first missiles invaded her country, she was awoken at about 6 a.m. to the sounds and the violence around her, and then she was faced with a decision of what she was going to do, not just for her, but also for her child. And so she debated and deliberated, and over the next 72 hours, she came to the decision that she was going to need to do something, not just for her sake, but for the sake of her child. And that began this series of events where she was escaping into Poland and she tried to make it there and as she was making it there, she never knew where the next act of violence was going to fall around her. It was a scary, risky, dangerous time for her. But the one thing that she did know is she needed to do something for her child. She needed to risk her own life in order to save the life of her child. And thankfully... That's what she did. Thankfully, she made it to Warsaw. She made it to a hospital, and a few days after she made it there, she gave birth to this sweet baby girl, Adelina. And I'm so thankful that the story ends that way. I'm so thankful that she was able to save the life of both her and her child, but I wanted to tell this story to give us a glimpse of what it looks like for someone to face danger to risk their own life, to to potentially die for the sake of another. And so if we were to describe what kind of mother Christina was, we would say she is a good mother. She is beautiful and compelling and praiseworthy for her willingness to put her life on the line, for her willingness to give of her own life so that another might find life. She is a good mom. And when we say Jesus is the good shepherd, we are tapping into the same understanding. This understanding of Jesus, who comes as this good and beautiful and compelling figure. Why? Because he is willing to lay down his life for another. Jesus is a good shepherd because he will show us over the next few days in the gospel of John that he's not just willing, but he does give up his life so that his sheep might find life, so that you might find life and that I might find life. And it's as Jesus says these words to these Pharisees who are listening in, on these powerful and provocative statements of Jesus, that there's also some punch to the statement. Because yes, on the one hand, there's this pastoral tone of Jesus, to envision Jesus as this good shepherd, But there's also some punch to it. There's some punch for those Pharisees listening in because all of a sudden this story that they shared is now being reinterpreted through Jesus. And that wasn't just changing their view of who they thought God was, but it was also changing their view of where they were in the story. Because Jesus, in these words, is yes, calling attention to himself, but he's also indicting who and what the Pharisees have become. Because if you keep reading in Jesus' statement, what's he going to do? He's going to make this contrast between the good shepherd and these hired hands. Between himself and not just some theoretical hired hand, but specifically he's making a contrast between himself and the Pharisees. And what they had done and what had become of them in this religious leadership position. Where they no longer really cared about the sheep of Israel, but they only cared about themselves. That at the first sign of danger, they were going to flee. At the first sign of crisis, they were going to run. Why? Because they weren't leaders who were really concerned about the sheep. Jesus is doing here the very same thing that Ezekiel does in Ezekiel 34. He is indicting these religious leaders who had made their role about self-glorification, not self-sacrifice. Uh, He was indicting these leaders who, who had made their role about their own power and not the power that they could give away and share for the sake of the sheep. That was a problem in Ezekiel's time. That was a problem in the time of Jesus, and it can still be a problem today. And so thanks be unto God for Jesus, our good shepherd. For Jesus, our good shepherd, who shows the extent of his love and connection to the sheep, to us, By doing what? By being willing to give up of his own life so that we might find life. Jesus is the good shepherd for you, for me, and for the whole world, and that is good news. In the history of our Christian movement, this Sunday is a particularly important Sunday for the lives of many Christians around the world. Because different streams of the Christian tradition celebrate today what is known as Palm Sunday, which begins this launch into what is often called Holy Week, moves into Good Friday and then to Easter Sunday. And today, Palm Sunday is that Sunday that we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem with people laying down palm branches singing Hosanna in the highest. Because they had this expectation that Jesus was going to be lifted up high as king, but by the end of the week, They would come to realize that he was going to be lifted up in ways that they never would have expected. And so it's on this Sunday as we enter into this week where we remember this moment in the life of Jesus where the shepherd becomes a sheep, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it's that forgiving power of Jesus that continues to be a forgiving power in our world today. Because the good shepherd who was willing to give up his life then is still the good shepherd giving up his life for the sake of the world because on the third day, God lifted him up. And here's what's fascinating about the Gospel of John especially. is that If we read in John 20 and 21, what's the very first thing that we see Jesus doing? He's being a good shepherd who goes after his sheep all of these disciples who had scattered because of fear and denial and doubt and disbelief, what does he do? He goes and finds his own, and he calls them back into relationship. He goes and finds his sheep that were scattered, and he calls them back home. And it's this beautiful picture of what Jesus does then and what Jesus still does now, that no matter how far we have scattered No matter how far we feel like we may have strayed, the Good Shepherd continues to call us home. The Good Shepherd continues to call us to Himself where we can find life. And where we don't just have shared life with the Shepherd, but we also have a shared story. Because in baptism, our story becomes a part of His story. And with that shared story comes a shared language of intimacy, Between sheep and shepherd, in the same way, there is intimacy between the Father and the Son. That's what Jesus invites us into. Out of love and for the sake of love, our world is completely changed. And so the Good Shepherd Jesus continues to call us, calls us back, or calls us for the first time. Because the shepherd loves his sheep, and the shepherd is willing to give his life for the sheep, and that includes you, and that includes me. Jesus is the good shepherd, and that is still good news. Thanks be unto God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, who was willing to lay down his life so that you may raise him up again on the third day. And he now reigns and rules forever and ever And we are so grateful that he doesn't just reign and rule, but he also continues to call to draw all people back to himself. And so for those those of us this morning who feel scattered, who feel like we've strayed, help us to hear these words as a promise and a reminder that the Good Shepherd continues to call us back home, continues to call us into intimacy between him and the Father. And help us to live more into that reality this week. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any response to the invitation this morning, we're going to sing a song. We'll have shepherding couples in the back. You can go back and ask for prayer. We'll also have shepherds down front. However you need to respond, you can do that now while we stand and sing.